When I was a boy, I really liked to play Army. I really did. I had an Army helmet and some old Army surplus gear. I even had a bayonet. The snows were much deeper when I was a boy. And there's nothing so quiet, nothing so still, nothing so soothing as to walk in the woods, in the new snow, on the ground and in the trees, hunting Nazis. Man, I used to do it all the time. I hunted and killed a thousand Nazis. I had always been fascinated by battles and battle tactics, generals, armies, arms. There is a tinge of regret when in 1984 I didn't enlist when I had the opportunity. If I had known real war, I doubt the fascination would remain. I certainly do not want a war to start to satisfy my curiosity. Still, I I read of exploits and others uh, from the comfort of my armchair and wonder, wonder what it would be like to be in a real war, to be in a real battle. I don't just sit, though. I I, I love, uh, I get up and and go around, too. I visit places uh, as well. Um, growing up in the South, I turned it one too many times. Growing up in the South, we are afforded many battlefields to choose from, and I've been to many Civil War battlefields in our area. I've been to Fredericksburg, Virginia. One of the one of my favorites is a good all day trip to the Shiloh battlefield. It's about oh about 200 miles southwest of here, near Pickwick Landing, Tennessee. There's a large open field, you can see it in the picture here, a large open field between two tracks of woods. The ground was called, this ground was called the hornet's nest. The the rebels called it the hornet's nest because the mini balls that were whizzing by their ears sounded like angry hornets. The wounded soldiers from this battle, from both sides, made their way to this pond, forever known as Bloody Pond. I ran across that field just to see what it was like. If you can imagine big old me running from one side of the woods to the other side of the woods just to see what it would have been like to cross that open field under fire. I knelt behind this stone wall at Fredericksburg to maybe understand what it would have been like But these are old battles, and there's no danger there anymore. And and, and so I will probably never know what it feels like to be in a physical war. Veterans that I've talked to are glad I don't know. Some wish that they didn't know. All have fought so that we don't have to know. One thing I've found in common about battles, Bunker Hill, Yorktown, Shiloh, Chickamauga, Nashville, Atlanta, the Somme, Normandy, the Battle of the Bulge, Berlin, 
Heartbreak Ridge, Saigon, Tet, Fallujah, Baghdad. All of those battles are given names in war. The people who fight those battles, they remember. They remember the place with a name. Have you ever heard of the battle of Armageddon? It's only found once in Revelation. But many say it's the ultimate battle where the forces of good and the forces of evil, they line up and they're going to fight the war to end all worlds, the grand finale of war. What many hear about Armageddon, though, is untrue. Eldred Eccles, a brother in Christ, in his book on Revelation says this, The truth is... The battle of Armageddon has already begun. Haven't you heard, he says, there's a war going on. And we're in the middle of it. All of us here today are on the front line of this great war that's going on right now as we sit. This is a real war, much dangerous than all the other wars put together. This is not a war of bullets and bombs, no. There's no army, navy, air force, or marines. This is not a war against flesh and blood. And we need to know how to fight this war or we're going to get killed. We need to know what we're doing when we step out on that battlefield. We're on the front line. President Lyndon Johnson on May 4th, 1965, he said at a dinner meeting of Texas, the Texas Electric Co-op, he said, so we must be ready to fight in Vietnam, but the ultimate victory will depend upon the hearts and minds of the people who actually live out there. Brother Eccles says again, listen to me as you think of what President Johnson said, some people are carefully evaluating every war and rumor of war as a countdown to Armageddon, but they don't understand the truth. The battle of Armageddon is being fought everywhere, every day, notice, in the hearts and minds of all human beings. It's a spiritual war. Not a physical war. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, said Paul, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are every day on the front line of this great war. A war, by the way, that's already been won. It's just up to us to pick a side. To do battle in this war, we need to know something, like I said, or we're going to get killed. To do battle, we need to know our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. The devil holds great power. Jesus called the devil the prince of this world, John chapter 12 and verse 31. Paul said the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 2, and he is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan uses weapons like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the boastful pride of life, 
1 John chapter 2, verse 17 to wreak havoc on our lives. He takes advantage of our weaknesses to make us slaves of sin. He uses error and, and false teaching and false doctrine to keep precious souls from learning the truth. The battle is large and it can be confusing. And to do battle, we must know our battlefield. In a physical war, there's a, there's a forward edge of the battle area. Soldiers call it the FIBA, the forward edge of the battle area. We would call it the front line. You know, in the Civil War, in World War II, and in, in, in World War I and World War II, uh, the, the forward edge of the battle line, the front line was easily seen on a map. You know, there were trenches. There were, there were places. You, well, here's this army here and here's this army here. But in modern war... In Korea, in Vietnam, in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, the front line is, is everywhere. You've got to look out for everybody. Any place where the bullets and bombs are flying or likely to fly is now the definition of the front line. And so it is in our spiritual battle. The front line is anywhere in our Christian life. Anywhere you are is where the battle is. I signed a petition the other day, uh, Friday, Thursday or Friday, there was, I was watching CNN, and there was a girl by the name of Diana Cherry, she's a mother, and she started a petition against Victoria's Secret. Let me read you what she says on her petition. As the mother of three young daughters and a young son, I'm appalled by Victoria's Secret new campaign, Bright Young Things that targets teens and tweens with the same type of sexy, sexualized products sold in their adult line. Bright Young Things, which is part of the spring break collection of Victoria's Secret Pink Line, features an array of panties with a lace trim thong with Call Me on the front. To lace back underwear with the word Wild on the back. To black and green white polka dot hipsters reading Feeling Lucky. Victoria's Secret may claim that pink is for college women, but their chief financial officer, Stuart Burgerdufer, made it clear when he was asked about Victoria's Secret pink's lingerie line that they are trying to reach a teen audience. He says this, when somebody's 15 or 16 years old, what do they want to be? They want to be older. They want to be cool like the girl in college, and that's part of the magic of what we do at pink. I don't want a brand, she says, like Victoria's Secret, telling my daughters what sexy should be. And my son, that girls have to dress and look a certain way. Sexualization of girls by marketers has been found to contribute to depression, eating disorders, and early sexual activity. And this new ad campaign is a glaring example of a culture forcing girls to grow up too fast. Amen? Our children are not sex objects. They're not things. Please join me in asking Victoria's Secret to stop being part of the problem and being part of the solution by pulling their Bright Young Things campaign. I signed that. Glad to do it. The war is everywhere. It's coming at us from all sides. The front line, it's in our home. It's in our marriages. It's in our jobs. It's in our schools. It's in our government. 
The battlefield is everywhere. And we've got to be prepared. It's even here in the Lord's church. And we, each and every one of us, we're on the front line of it every day. Each and every one of us. And only you know whose side you're on. Only you know whose side you're on. But know this, know this, you're on a side. Whether you like it or not, you're on a side. As I've said, the war has already been won, and all we'd have to do is choose which side we want to fight to the death for or to life for. We can fight to the life too. As Christians, we must be ready, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, to stand. Ready, 1 Peter 3, verse 15, ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. And to do that, we must know our equipment as soldiers of the cross. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, if you'll turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, gives a rundown of our gear. It describes our gear as Christians. To stand on the battlefield, we need to gird our waist with truth. The right belt will keep all the parts of our battle dress in their proper, proper place. And the truth keeps all the parts of a Christian in their proper place. The truth keeps the Christian's armor from shifting as he moves. John chapter 1 verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 8 verse 32, the truth will make you free. John chapter 17 verse 17, the word of God is that truth. The truth, Ephesians 1.13, is found in God's word and verbally expressed. It must be verbally expressed, this truth. On the front line, the enemy will use men, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, they will use men to trick us with deceitful Cunning, crafty doctrines. People will try to trick you. But we, verse 15, are to speak the truth in love. The truth is to be spoken in order to withstand the false, deceptive, and destructive doctrines of men wherever the shot comes from. We need to be ready to love by telling the truth found in God's Word. We gird up our waistline with truth and take a hard line stand on the truth. Jesus is the image of truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 21. We put on our, on our breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14. The breastplate of righteousness must be put on by the Christian soldier. No one can put this breastplate on for you. Paul, describing a soldier of his day, spoke of a, a breastplate that covered the chest and the, and the vital areas Inside the chest, we may say body armor today or, or bulletproof vest. It represents righteousness. To stand, to fight in our everyday battle and to protect our, our vitally uh, needed life source. We must be righteous people. We must live right. We must be right with God every day. We must be right with God. We will have a moral integrity from obedience to God's commands. It says in Psalm 119, 172, all of God's commands are righteous. And if we want to make it home, 
at the end of this long war, we need to wear our God-given body armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Our feet must be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, what are we putting on our feet? To prepare means to make ready. Christians must know the good news. People must know the gospel, and the Christian must be able to tell it. The gospel is not peace between good and evil. That's not what we're talking about. The peace is between God and man. We as Christians enjoy peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We must know the gospel, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. The good news about Jesus is God's power to save, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The Christian soldier, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6, must take up the shield of faith. Above all, Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Do not walk on the field of battle without your shield. Faith in your life is essential to being on the winning side in a conflict. Because faith, according to 1 John chapter 5 verse 4, has overcome the world. Faith keeps us safe from the fiery darts of the evil one. Fiery darts like temptation, James chapter 1 verse 14. Each one, he says, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and sins. Drawn away by Satan, enticed by lust, drawn away from from friendly lines into a dangerous area of the battlefield. The fiery dart of ridicule is protected by strong faith. The enemy, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 4, will think it's strange that you're not on their side. The fiery dart of conformity. It falls from the sky like rain on Americans. We must stand, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And not get hit by the fiery dart of discouragement. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. We will win this fight if we hold our shield and do not lose heart. We wear a helmet on our head, a helmet of salvation. As Christians, we must have the confidence that we are saved. So many times, and I've asked this audience before as well, are you saved? If Jesus Christ came back right now, would you go to heaven? And so many go, I I don't know. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know. The Bible tells you. The Bible tells you, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, these things were written so that you can know that you have eternal life. Each and every one of us can know that for a fact. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, our salvation, that's our hope. That's the hope we put on our head every day that we're saved. That when Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to heaven to live with Him. Christian, you must believe it. You must put that helmet on every day. This hope that we have is the anchor of the soul. We sing, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to that rock which cannot be moved, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. 
that hope of salvation. Paul tells us that we can have confidence. We can live the Christian life. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. With all confidence knowing that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That next verse, Philippians 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your needs. My God will. Your God will supply all your needs. Our God is strong. We can have an unbroken supply line to the front line from God. The Christian soldier takes the helmet of salvation by believing God's power and by believing God's promise to His children. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. That promise is eternal life. We believe that. We believe we're going to heaven. We put our helmet of salvation on every day by faithfully living for God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, it's where we fight the good fight and lay hold of eternal life. Now, we have all this good defensive armor as Christians. But we also have an, ons- an awesome defensive yet offensive weapon as well. The sword of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the Word of God. You know, our emotions are unreliable. Our intellect will fail to fire. Man's wisdom will get us killed on this battlefield. But the word of God is sharper, Ephesians chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut you coming, it'll cut you going. It pierces Hebrews 4:12. It pricks Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It cuts. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. It divides bone from marrow. And it can cut the sin out of your life. The Christian soldier in full battle dress now. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying. That's how you act. Praying. And being watchful. Being watchful. Being watchful on the front line will win the battle. We'll win the battle for our soul. If we're prayerful and watchful, we'll win the heart and mind of our battlefield. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. These are more than just words. We must learn how to use this equipment. We're going to be using it the rest of our lives while we're here on earth. We've got to be, learn how to use this equipment. To do battle, we need to know our enemy. We need to know our battlefield. We need to know our equipment. And we must know our cause. We must must know the reason why we fight. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Paul writes, You're no longer strangers, foreigners. You're fellow citizens. Members of God's house. Jesus is the cornerstone of this house. And because of Jesus, we we all fit together, Paul is saying. And then look at at chapter 3, verse 1. In the King James Version, it's for this cause. In the New King James Version, it's for this reason. For this cause, for this reason, I, Paul, us Christians, we Christians, are prisoners of Jesus Christ. We fight for the cause of Christ. That's our cause. Romans chapter 15 verse 9, glorifying God. For this cause I will confess God to those who don't know Him. We fight for a just cause. We fight for a righteous cause. 
We never have to second guess the cause we're fighting for. John chapter 18, verse 36. If you'll turn there, John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is being grilled by Pilate before he is crucified. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You you say rightly that I am king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The cause of Christ is a true cause. It's a cause worth fighting for. And Pilate asked, What is truth? What is truth? Do you know? To do battle, you must know yourself. Know yourself. You may have read Stephen Crane's book, The Red Badge of Courage, in high school. Or... Maybe you saw the 1951 Audie Murphy movie or the 1974 made-for-TV movie starring Richard Thomas. You remember John Boy? Remember him playing in that movie? The main character of this book is Henry Fleming. He's the main character. He's a new recruit in the Union Army in the Civil War. And he worries the whole time before his fight about his courage. Will he have enough courage... To stand there when the enemy comes. And his very first action, when the enemy comes howling at him from the woods, he he loads and he shoots and he reloads and he shoots and he feels, he he describes himself as a machine. From what I understand, a battle takes a lot out of a man. And the men of that company, a lot of them lay down and took a nap after that battle. They were so tired. After a brief nap, the enemy charged again. And Henry, he wakes up scared and and he runs away from the fight. Throws down his gun and just runs away. Henry, Henry is ashamed he was such a coward. He sees the wounded coming from the battlefield, red with blood. And he's ashamed. And he's envious of their wounds. He's envious of what he calls their red badges of courage. Examine yourself. Have you been asleep? Have you left the field of battle? Examine yourself. Know yourself. Are you a coward in the battle for your heart and mind? Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Test yourself. Paul says, is Christ in you? Do you know? Do you look at other 
Christians and compare yourself? And with envy say, I could never be a Christian like him. I could never have enough faith like her. Do you envy courage? In the book, Henry goes back to his regiment. He goes back to his regiment and he fights like a lion, it says. His lieutenant says that with 10,000 Henrys, he could win the war in a week. Christian, the war is already won. Come back and fight. Come back and fight. Those of you who are saved and you know it, stop standing on the sideline and get busy on the front line. Stand in the gap. Those of you who are lost, join the fight. Cross the line in the sand. Join the fight. Your sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Confess, repent of your sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And confess your belief in Jesus, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And wash away your sins by being baptized, Acts chapter 22, verse 16. The decisive battle in the war of hearts and minds has already been won. It's already been fought. When Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, died on that cross, was buried in that tomb, was raised from the dead, and was seen by hundreds, Jesus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, He is the captain of our salvation. And we can follow a captain like that on the battlefield that we fight every day. Come and join the fight right now as together we stand and sing.